Hello everyone, this is week five in our Genesis series. We've only got two left after this, which means, yeah, we're pretty much coming to the end. This is like the final leg uh, with the young people in Genesis. I'd like to think that we're either going to come back to it or we're going to carry on to the next few chapters with them at some point, uh, but still need to decide how and when we do that. Um, this week, I think, is probably one of the most important, possibly the most important lesson from the series. Uh, as a result, I think it'll probably take the place of two sessions, um, so I suppose what we'll do in this first one is kind of just present the scenario, um, develop a couple of the ideas, but then spend the next session really trying to kind of pick apart a few different bits of it and then think through serious application implications of it. There's going to be loads in it, so um, yeah, I don't think we need to kind of think too cleverly about how we split it up. If anything, it'll more be a case of... Um, making sure we kind of have an opportunity to say all that we want to say. Um, as a result, the next sort of session, which was planned, we will still do, but it's a case of more just reading the verses and stating what's said, uh, because if our discussions have been uh, useful in the two weeks prior to it, um, then, yeah, it, it should be fairly self-explanatory. But we'll get there when we get there. You don't have to worry about that yet. So this week we're in chapter 3, verses 1 to 13. The title for this week is Who Do We Trust? Or Who Will They Trust? Uh, last week we saw God wasn't pleased with the fact Adam was on his own. There was no one who was fit for him. There were no other humans. Ultimately, there was no one else bearing the image who was... Um, comparable with Adam so God said this isn't good so from the man he brought a woman from Adam he brought Eve meaning from the man um, so someone who is made perfectly equal equally uh, valuable in God's sight made in the image of God just like Adam yet unique in that she was female the two complement each other although they are equal they're different and they were united they were on the same page, same wavelength, same team, and they were unashamed. We thought about the fact that that doesn't sound very much like how we feel often. Rather than feel unashamed in front of one another and with one another, uh, even with people who we're very, very close to, we put up shields, defences, coverings, masks, um, anything to stop people seeing what we're truly like. We're embarrassed and ashamed of letting people see how we feel and what we think. Um, our innermost thoughts and desires we, we, we very easily want to hide so the reason we kind of sort of feel that way is is brought out in this week's lesson so we are developing we're sort of carrying on what it was that we ended on in our last session um, today when we see why they were covering themselves why it is that we do that uh, and ultimately again it's because of sin it's because we are ashamed of who we are and we know that there's something that we're doing that's not right so um rather than just go through the whole chapter 
Uh, there's just a couple of things I think at this point before I go to the big principles pictures and a couple of application points at the end that we do just need to kind of acknowledge and chat about. Um, the first one is the fact that there's a talking snake. We don't have to go into all the details of what we think that this means, what happened. Um, if we're following the idea that we've followed right the way through that this is not a literal factual story that is presenting all of the details of exactly what happened, we shouldn't get tied up in too many knots. We acknowledge that this is truth. That by saying it's not literal fact doesn't mean that the, this isn't literal truth. So the principle and the picture is the key rather than the detail. So... If this was, a, again, a literal story, surely Eve must be asking, hold on, are you the only one that speaks? Or do these all speak, all these other animals? She'd run a mile, surely, if something just appeared to her and started speaking to her. Like, who is this other character? Where is this other voice coming from? Because so far we've only heard God's voice and Adam's voice. There's so many unanswered questions that we will get ourselves in trouble, tie ourselves in knots, if we try and answer questions that aren't posed for us. So we steer clear of them. The point is, now in the midst of this creation, of God's creation, there is an enemy. There is someone who is countering what God says, and the humans now have a choice and a decision to make. The word serpent, I think, is fairly iconic. It's a type, it's a symbol. So think, like Sydney said yesterday, who's the original audience? It's the children of Israel. They've just come from Egypt. What was the symbol of Egypt? It was the snake. That was the sign of their power, of their rule, who tried to destroy God's people, who tried to drive them into the ground um, and stop them from kind of growing and flourishing and enjoying an, a relationship with God in the home that he was preparing for them. So there's already links there to Genesis and the garden. But the symbol of the snake was a symbol of power. It was a symbol as a result of that then of opposition to God and his people. And in the same way that Babylon becomes a type, an icon, a symbol of a nation who rebels against God. Um, I think the snake does something similar. The word Nakash also has roots to this seraph word, which is seraphim. So I think there's an idea that this is a heavenly being who has now entered into the earthly space. He knows God, he knows what God has done, what God has said, yet he's now in rebellion against God. We've got to note the fact, Claire mentioned this in church to me when I saw it on Sunday, which is dead right. It's, it's an astute observation, which is we're not told this is Satan or the devil. I think we project that on. There are New Testament links and reasons why we do that, but the author doesn't do it. So we need to be careful to not just jump straight to this is Satan. Rather, this is a voice in opposition to God's rule, an enemy of God who's going to try and convince and coerce uh, the humans to rebel against him and to seek their own will and desires. Um, anyway, so much more we could be said there, but I do think it's worth acknowledging. If the young people ask it, it's a valid question. Uh, but we don't want to get tied up too much in the detail of was it an actual snake, <laughs> what accent did they have, and all that kind of stuff. Um, but the point is this snake says, what did God actually say? He, he, he challenges the word and the rule of God. Again, we live in a culture that is constantly doing that. Um, and it's, it's the root to those questions um, are found in rebellion. If you didn't hear that, that was my car starting up. I've given up the, go the the game of where I am. I'm in my car recording this. So, um, from there, 
we've got these we've still got the the dilemma of the two trees or this picture of the two trees uh, one thing i think it's worth sort of noting again is what are the fruits of these trees it, the fruits are the decisions that they will make i think that's key in seeing again that this is a principle and a picture jesus gave us the parable didn't he and he said apple trees don't produce oranges orange trees don't produce apples you produce the fruit of your heart of the seed that is placed within your heart if you like so the point is it's not apple tree apples or pears on either of these trees the trees are representing the actions of the humans so if they eat from the tree that god has told them to they will live they'll enjoy life with him a relationship with him if they disobey and do what he's told them not to and eat from the forbidden tree they will die so the fruit is their action rather than, again, so the trees are symbols and are symbols and pictures of the decision, the heart of these humans of ultimately, again, when we, we reflect and we apply of us, what will we do? Choose to uh, obey God or choose to rebel against God. We'd mentioned it in a previous lesson that these trees, I think, function as a test for the humans, not for God to decide are these humans worthy are they trustworthy are they good are they evil god knows the hearts and the minds the intentions he ultimately as well knows that the decision they will make in advance but the trees will serve as evidence to the humans of the fruits of their heart where their heart actually are at which is why the moment they eat from them they run and hide so with that in mind again we see that when they eat from the tree it says their eyes are opened doesn't suggest that they had their eyes closed the whole time or they were blind but now they could see something they now have a knowledge they didn't have before knowledge of good and evil right and wrong obedience disobedience so that's now what it is that has opened their eyes this new knowledge of rebellion against god and with this knowledge now comes shame and guilt but also because of that because they both feel that it suggests one of pride and arrogance and uh, opposition so the reason they feel ashamed and want to hide is because the eyes of the other now are looking at them judgmentally are seeing a side of them that they hadn't seen before an acknowledgement of the sin and deceitfulness in the heart of the other so there is pride but there's also shame obviously the results of disobeying god because of that then they run and hide from god they hide themselves in a bush and they cover themselves up and again ultimately that is what we do so aware of their sin they run and hide from god's presence and cover and hide themselves then when god confronts them on their sin while they're hiding they shift the blame to someone else now again if we can't see a pattern there of our culture of our own hearts of where we find ourselves uh, we've missed the point so we need to be very sort of clear on how this is a picture of what it looks like to rebel against god um, we run and hide from him so th there just a, co a couple of the details from the passages um, to be thinking about to not get too embroiled in but to pick up on definitely so the ultimate question that I said we want to ask from this week's lesson is who will they trust who do we trust God, the big idea for this week is God is a loving rule maker who knows what's best for us. He places the tree in the garden 
as a rule and as a symbol and a sign that he loves them and he has true wisdom. He knows right from wrong, good and evil. If they do as he says, they will live. If they reject what he says and rebel against them, they will die. The storyline of the Bible follows this theme right the way through. Humans constantly rejecting God and doing as they say and it leading to death. Every so often a figure will appear who it seems is doing as God says and it's leading to flourishing, it's leading to blessing, it's leading to life and then before you know it, they've rejected God, rebelled against them and it's led to catastrophe and death. The reason we want to follow this theme through is because we want to acknowledge it in our own hearts and in our own culture. But again, ultimately then when we get to Jesus and we see the human who trusted God to the end, who did what he said and trusted him above his own desires, it brought life. And in him now is the life that we lost. In him is that fruit that we need to kind of eat. Uh, but again, we're getting ahead of ourselves because they're, they're going to be banished from the garden at some point. And that's what we want to think about later on. Another key detail that's going to sort of now lead us into the application point is what was the thing that drew Eve to eat the fruit from the tree? It was because it was desirable to her eyes. So this is now the link for us to our application, I think. Will she trust what God says is right? Or will she trust what she sees looks good? will feel good, will feel nice. The tempter, the, the enemy, the serpent says to her, God knows that the day you eat of it, you'll be like him in knowing good and evil. There's knowledge, there's wisdom to be had from this experience of rebellion. Now again, as we th move into thinking about application now a little bit, how often we feel like God is withholding something, with, yeah, withholding, I think that's a word, withdrawing something from us that we need to capture in order to experience and know for ourselves. Okay, God says, but I don't trust that. I want to know for myself. I want to feel. I want to experience. I want to know whether it's worth it or not, God. So this idea of knowledge is at the heart of our rebellion, whatever it is, whether it's lust, whether it's selfishness and greed, whether it's pride, whether it's arrogance, whether it's bullying, anything, it's I want to know. There's a knowledge and a wisdom that comes from our rebellion. I think the, the, the temptation from the serpent to the, the woman is far deeper and richer maybe than we quite acknowledge this idea of we want a knowledge for ourselves of what it will feel like and taste like and all those kind of things. So, getting into application points, I'm gonna send these through so you can read them and think about them yourself. But the first one is, we face this similar test all the time. Will we trust God's wisdom or our own? Will we obey him or obey our own desires? Think about that and think about that with the young people. Ask that question and show them how all the time we need to trust God. The, the key principle for that application is, we did a little illustration last week with them when we were in Jaguar. But how will we ever know what God says is good or right or truthful or best for us? We've got to read the Bible. And if we don't understand the Bible or we don't know the Bible, we need to draw alongside older, wiser people who are doing that. That's what wisdom looks like. Drawing near to people who can show us God, reveal God to us, rather than trusting ourselves. So the question then is, will we trust God or our own desires, motives? The next question, who is it we trust and who will we listen to? 
So rather than just facing that test, it's a case again of like, who will we listen to? Who are the voices that we are trusting instead of trusting God's? Rather than reading his word or getting alongside older, wiser heads to instruct us and guide us in his word, who do we listen to? Now, who will the young people listen to? Generally, it's 14 to 16-year-old divvies who haven't got a clue what's going on. Who haven't got a, like any experience in life. They, you know, they don't know God's word. They don't read it. They spend all their time on TikTok. Um, they're the ones telling our young people, you need to drink this. You need to sleep with them. You need to come to this party. You need, and then you'll know what it's like. Then you'll know what it feels like. Then you'll have a knowledge. Again, expose yourself to these truths, to these ideas, and then you'll have knowledge. We li- this knowledge idea in a social media age takes on a new level and form because our thinking is being manipulated. The truths that we hear are being filtered truths in inverted commas. Um, insight and wisdom now is, is manipulated and morphed into things that yeah are very, very deceitful and dangerous. Influencers on YouTube who are telling us what's right, what's wrong, what's good, what's evil, um, who again are giving us other versions of truth which aren't truthful. Young people are listening to poor advice, deceitful advice that will destroy them all the time. So we need to ask, who is it you're listening to? And what, what will happen as a result of that? Next question, are we ruled by our senses, what's desirable to the eye or the word of God? Which is right, obviously, to trust God, but which is reliable and which is unchanging? The reason why the word of God is so useful, not useful, how undermining, how patronising is that? The reason why it's vital is because it's truth. It comes from the source of wisdom, not just a wise God, but he is wisdom, he is truth, he is life, and his word never changes. It's one of the major benefits of the Bible is it never changes. Therefore, from generation to generation, gender to gender, culture to culture, the word remains the same and can be tested and can be, again, uh, trusted. It can be researched. We can see its effect (laughs) lived out like a science experiment. So the the validity of the the ever never changing word of God against our desires which change from week to week year to year from culture to culture gender to gender like all of those different things all our desires will change all the time think of how generation if you go to you know parts of Asia there is nothing to be desired more than knowledge to go to school and learn from science and mathematics and language it's the 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 most desirable goal in the world and by the way what a boss desire yes our young people detest it (laughs) and hate it and want to experience life and adventure and travel and concerts and clothes and whatever else it may be like our desires aren't trustworthy they change from gen- like from culture to culture but then again like the stuff that you wanted to taste when you were 10 to 20 to 30 changes all the time what we see feel and touch is not valid or trustworthy the word of god is we need to be questioning that yet the reason why the uh, our senses draw us in and the word that I hate more than any other to say which is the word I was trying to talk about when we went to the quarter is L-U-R-E 
lure, lure, uh, like lure you in. The reason why your senses do it is because, again, you can see, touch, taste, feel. It's immediate. It, it gratifies. So it gives the impression that it's doing what true wisdom should. Yet, it's like when you gorge on sweets when you should have had a roast dinner. Realize, you realise very quickly, oh, that was a mistake. That was foolish. That was stupid. So again, we really want to be drawing our young people to see how futile and untrustworthy our senses are as opposed to how rock solid and firm and trustworthy God's word is. What does obedience reveal and who to? So again, with the trees, they acted as a test. If they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it revealed to them that they don't trust God. So therefore, again, when we're faced with an opportunity to trust God and do as he says, or trust what we want to do or what others say to do and we do it, in the moment we sin, it becomes clear to us we are guilty, we have sinned. So our disobedience reveals to us rather than God. God knows our hearts. He knows what we're going to do before we do it. He doesn't need convincing. Yet our rebellion, our disobedience is fruit, is evidence to us. We've rebelled against God. It accuses us then of our guilt and of our sin. So these tests our obedience reveals to us what our hearts are like, where our treasure is, which again is what all the more compelling than why Jesus is just boss and, and unlike us. So when we disobey, when it's clear to us that we have sinned, what do we do? Do we run and hide from God? Do we run and hide from others? Do we mask it? Now, this is a question to us, Jib, the young people for a minute. When you sin, how do you react and respond? Do you cover it up? Do you run from God? Do you run and hide in the bushes behind the curtain and hope he doesn't see you? Do you suddenly do something else to cover the sin, to cover over the patch or do a quick prayer, do a quick quiet time? I don't know, whatever it is, listen to hymns, something that God will obviously be really made up with, listening to like Stuart Townsend or something. Or do we run to him? Now again, the that implication's not quite here. That's drawn out in the rest of the story that the appropriate response should have been to run to him and confess their sin. That's what the rest of the story is wanting to show. That's what the sacrifices are going to be for. That's what Jesus is really going to kind of show that rather than run away, we run to. But just as a good application point for the young people, when we sin, why is it then that we recognise our guilt and our shame, our nakedness, and cover it up? It's because we realise that we're guilty. So we hide from God and we hide from one another. But as a team, let's be honest, that's what we do as well. And we need to ask the question or really do the examination. Why is it we do that? What's that revealing to one another? So yeah, I'm going to send all this through as notes, but that's kind of the big idea, the big question this week. Who will they trust? Who do we trust? Will we do as God says or will we disobey and do what we want to do? Will they trust God or will they trust the desires of their heart? Sorry, I missed that one point of application. When they're guilty and God confronts Adam, what does he say? That woman told me to do it. So he goes to Eve. What happened? Or that the serpent told me to do it. They shift blame rather than take responsibility, rather than say sorry and drop at his feet and ask for forgiveness. They shift the blame. Again, a picture of the human condition. Pride and arrogance lived out. There's enough there, again, just to begin to think about and to put on the toes of the young people and to be praying through yourself. 
So yeah, sorry, going back to it, the big idea, who will they trust? Who do we trust? Do we trust God and do as he says? Do we rebel against God? Where does trust and obedience lead to? It's life. Where does rebellion lead to? It leads to death. And as a result, the fruits of that again are shame, guilt, pride, and arrogance. So for this week, we're just kind of setting that out. And then next week, or I say next time we meet, we'll try it again and sort of flatten all that out a bit and come out of um, next time with it all a little bit neater and understanding the implications, what it means for us and what it's going to mean for the end of the story, why it's going to be so important then that one does arrive, one human does arrive who does the opposite, who trusts God, puts his will first and uh, how we can find life in him. If that's not clear, which wouldn't surprise me if it isn't, give us a ring. I'd love to speak about it. I'm going to send some notes through with those little details on uh, as well so it's easier for you to maybe just skim through and read. But yeah, it's a really, really good lesson and uh, there's a lot in there.